The following is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. Parking the Bus podcast can be followed on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Or if you have an Amazon Echo by simply saying, Alexa, play the Parking the Bus podcast. Don't forget to check out the show's homepage at www.parkingthebusmedia.com. What's up, PTB Nation? Welcome to episode 45 of Parking the Bus, and it is the fourth night of Euro 2020. We got three matches to talk about tonight, and tonight my guest is from Better Than Vegas uh, as well, and I brought over another friend from BTV tonight. It is Fade My Plays. He goes by. Um, he is on Twitter at Fade My Play, and you can find him there and see all of his handicapping work that he does. He's a handicapper, uh, picks, you know, winners, picks losers, picks uh, props. You got it. He, he's all over that, and we're going to talk about today's three games. We're going to talk about the Czech Republic versus Scotland. We're going to talk about Poland and Slovakia, and then we're going to talk about the world record possession battle. If you, It wasn't a battle. It was a world record of possession by Spain in a nil-nil snoozer with Sweden uh, in the nightcap. So we're going to hit on all that, and we'll even give a preview of tomorrow's match. So um, hope everyone's enjoying the tournament and enjoying the podcast. And after this short break, we'll be right into the conversation. All right. Um, as you know, I am the Mr. Mike Agustinu, and you can follow me on Twitter at PTB underscore media and on under on instagram at the same ptb underscore media and of course always check out the homepage www.parkinthebusmedia.com all right go there and you can get all of the uh, information you can get all of the content that i've been putting out i've even got it set up now so that it is a playlist of episodes so if you go to the page you'll see the most recent episode there and then um every time a new episode goes live it goes right into that spot so it doesn't require a new post or anything um if you haven't yet go and subscribe to the parking the bus channel on apple spotify wherever you get your podcasts all right or just ask alexa to play the parking the bus podcast and go to youtube and follow the ptb media networks youtube page please subscribe and hit the alert so that you get alerted when i go live all right we are four nights down now in uh, euro 2020 we got about 26 to go so this is going to be a blast as this tournament has already been uh, been phenomenal and You'll hear us talk about that in uh, in the episode today. I hope you like it. All right, so here's a quick break to pay a bill, and on the other end, it is your episode 45 here on Parking the Bus. You're listening to the Parking the Bus podcast's continuing coverage of Euro 2020 here on the PTB Media Network. What's up, PTB Nation? How is everybody doing tonight? It is night four of the Parking the Bus podcast, and we got three more real big matches to talk about. Plenty of, of situations going down, plenty to talk about today. I got another guest here tonight, another one of my friends from over at Better Than Vegas over at BTV. Fade my play. What's up, brother? What's going on? What's going on? I am uh, excited to be talking with you about this because this tournament has been, I mean, to say anything other than it has been crazy would be an understatement. It's one of the best uh, international tournaments we've seen in a long time, and I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, it really, it has been good, hasn't it? it only, you know, four days in, and we've had so many storylines already to talk about, and I mean, we got a couple surprising results, I would say, today. You know, Leo was on with me last night, and he had Poland winning as, you know, a foregone conclusion. <laughs> you know, neither one of us liked Spain very much, but today was like an exaggeration of what we predicted. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, I, it's shocking. I mean, Spain, 
I literally, watching that game, it's so easy to see why they are not rated by any of the international pundits. Yeah, really. I mean, they they do one thing really well, and then there's the rest of the game they got to worry about. They 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 can't. They have no quality in in front of uh in front of goal. You know. Yeah. I mean, it's this is the worst. Jesus, sorry, my dog is going. <laughs> hey, it's all good. Thank you. This is the worst team we've seen in about 25 years, and you know it's it's tough because they're also going against. I mean, we're seeing peak France, really peak Portugal. Yeah. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, I mean. You always have to rate the Germans, even though they're out of the top 10. But really, they are a fantastic side, except for their defense. So Spain, I just I don't see them winning anything anytime soon, you know, until they have their, you know, really young, you know, teenagers start to develop and break into the first team. But I mean, when you have and I love the guy, I said this today to another friend of ours, James makes picks. But like when you have a Dama Traore on your international team, yeah, something's wrong. You know, like Mm -hmm. I love the guy. He's fantastic. But. I mean, a Wolves player uh, on the on the Spanish national team is just so insane to me. So, you know, I mean, and they got the result that they deserved. They just yeah, no doubt. Their defenders. I agree. I agree. Um, so obviously, like you said, you've been enjoying the tournament. Um, uh, is it enough for you, or, or are you you getting into the Copa America as well in I the mean, late night? I gotta love the Copa America just because one of my closest friends is Argentinian and has been an mm-hmm. Argentina fan, you know, his whole life. Uh, in fact, the last, uh, you know, international football match that I went to was Argentina Chile, who are playing tonight. Uh, and mm-hmm. it was a fantastic game. I happened to be mm-hmm. filming when Angel Di Maria scored. Uh, it was just, you know, and where we went, we were at Levi's Stadium, so it was an electric atmosphere. I mean, wall-to-wall, mm-hmm. Chileans and Argentinians, Argentinians going at it. It was mm-hmm. fantastic atmosphere. The thing I like about the Copa America is that every single game is a rivalry, and yeah. there aren't many tournaments in sports where that is the case, but every single game in that mm-hmm. tournament is a massive rivalry, and it's great to see. Yeah, it really is, and I mean, I just had Argentina on a little bit a little while ago while I was finishing up, you know, my day job and getting ready to do this, and it's like it, it, I personally can watch this all day. I mean, like you said, every game is a rivalry, so there's it doesn't even matter that the stadiums are empty because the players don't even want to be there. But once that whistle, whistle blows, they forget mm-hmm. COVID, they forget everything else, and they compete. Yep, a hundred percent. And it, and you know, again. It's it's a tournament where I feel like there's never a foregone conclusion. Mm-hmm. All right. So why don't before we start, why don't you tell us a little about a little bit about yourself? You haven't been on the show before. Uh, you're new to parking the bus, and uh, I'll give you a second there. Can you hear That's, me? All right. All right. Yeah. 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 Well, what do you do over at BTV? What what is uh, what do you like to talk about? What do you like to to bet on over there? Uh, mainly what I got on to BTV doing, uh, Leo kind of recruited me as I'm sure he did most of the people on there, but mm-hmm. for, uh, soccer handicapping, I've just been a massive footy fan my whole life. And especially living in England for so long, it made it so that, you know, I was around a lot of people who did a lot of football betting and, you know, it's just a fantastic sport to bet on. Um, and then just by nature of becoming a bigger sports fanatic i absolutely love betting hockey as well um Mm -hmm. soccer and hockey are definitely the two sports i enjoy most to bet on and then baseball and nba came by way of you know hey it's what's on and so i'm gonna bet uh and now i think that we're in the playoffs it's not easier is the wrong word but it's more enjoyable uh to bet on basketball because teams care every single game players try Mm -hmm. every single game uh, and baseball is, you know, I mean, you talk about an analytical minefield. Baseball yeah. is one of the easiest and at the same time most difficult sports to handicap because of the fact that it is an analytic sport through and through. But yeah, soccer, I mean, that's what I got into betting for. That's why I do it. Mm-hmm. That's I love to bet on. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm, I'm happy to have you here. And since you said you lived in England, I want to let's peel back to England's game yesterday for a little bit then. Uh, I want to get your perspective on it. I got Leo's yesterday, so I want to get yours today. I genuinely believe they were trying to not lose, but not trying to win because of the fact of the way in which the roadmap for them to the final is laid out. Second place in their group would not be that bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, And 
So I think even though it's, you know, I, I hate, I feel like sports is, they live to make up these bullshit, important records and statistics. Like, you know, don't get me wrong. It's great that England won their, you know, opening match fixture in an international tournament tournament for the first time in like 50 years. But I mean, that doesn't matter. You win your first game and then lose the rest. Nobody it, you're not going to remember that yeah. that first win, right? But yeah, I, I don't think they were trying too hard to win. I think that's evident in the team selection as well. I am a firm believer that Gareth Southgate either must win these Euros or will be out of the job because mm-hmm. I can't make rhyme nor reason of why he's playing the players he is in the positions they're in. I mean, he has the best left back in maybe the world, definitely in English football, Luke mm-hmm. Shaw, and then considers playing as a center half. And then instead, just leave them on the bench. I mean, that I, I don't get that. You leave Trent Alexander-Arnold out of the team completely. Jesse Lingard, after the year that he's had, you prefer, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin to him. And and it's just, I don't know, it, Jude Bellingham as well. It's strange team selection, but as of right yeah, now... Yeah, Jaden Sancho didn't even make the game day roster. I mean, it's... Yeah, <laughs> Which you... As of right now, they're batting a thousand, so you can't say anything. Yeah. But if yeah. they if they struggle in this tournament, it has to be team selection. I mean, he looks like a genius because of you know Calvin and his ridiculous hairstyle. But at the same time, it's <laughs> like people say, "Oh, Raheem Sterling, what a match he had! He had a terrible match." Like Raheem Sterling is. So I'm with good. you on that. <laughs> yeah, like he's he's so good, and if he had the finishing ability of an Aguero of a cane of a true number nine, mm-hmm. he would average 50 goals a season with the amount yeah. of chances he gets. And mm-hmm. it's evident, you know, I'm a Manchester United fan and mm-hmm. watching every Manchester United Derby since Raheem Sterling went to Manchester city, he must have three to five one-on-ones with the goalkeeper, every single Manchester Derby and has yet to score a single time against United. So it's like, I saw more of that, you know, I think Phil Foden, as much as I hate to say it, is a bright light in the English Mm -hmm. team, but I just, I don't understand what Gareth Southgate's doing, but they have three points and, you know. And they get the big one on Friday. (laughs) Yeah. Talk about rivalries, right? So we'll start there. We'll start with with their opponents on Friday. They they debuted today, Scotland uh, versus Czech Republic at, at Hamden Park. And, well, it didn't go the way they were planning. Um, no, <laughs> I'll, I'll read out. <laughs> I'll read out uh, Scotland's lineup. You know, they, they're going three, four, one, two. And David Marshall's the goalkeeper. And you got Jack Hendry, Greg Hanley and Liam Cooper in the back. So Kieran Tierney is notably missing. Um, four in midfield. We got Stephen O'Donnell, Scott McTominay, Stuart Armstrong and Andrew Robertson. John McGinn playing in front of them behind the two. Strikers, Lyndon Dykes, and Ryan Christie. Um, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the Scot- the Scottish team, but um, I know Leo texted me this morning all fired up. He couldn't believe that this was the 11 they sent out there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's again, it's questionable, questionable lineup making decisions. It's a strange thing. I mean, granted, you you have to be a little bit lenient on the Scots here because they had their chances. They just didn't put them away. I mean, you mm-hmm. have to argue through 60 minutes, they were by far the better team and deserved to be at least uh, at one, one, if not in front, uh, yeah. they go down two nil on an unbelievable, you know, mm. play of the tournament. Yeah. You know what? I mean, Jesus Christ, what he was doing that far out of his goal is just, I, I will not understand. He's, he's out there playing like he's, you know, uh, an, an outfield player, but yeah, yeah, just I think that the Scots played better than the scoreline suggests, and I agree with that. Yeah, about that. But the problem is, is and this is what is really interesting about the tournament, and you know, when we get to tomorrow's games, I think really, really affect the rest of the games we see at match day one is that you have a bunch of teams winning outright that weren't supposed to really get more than a point or two. And so because of the way this tournament's set up and there's four third place teams that are going to go through, that means that some of these teams that thought they'd have a foregone conclusion of, yes, we're winning and yes, we're going to be this and that. It's just not the case anymore. I mean, it's unbelievable to see the Czech Republic, not just with 
the three points, but with the plus two goal differential, I mean, that's huge. Yeah, that's huge. And that's for a team that was not expected to really grab more than a point in this tournament. So, yeah. you know, I think that's, that's going to be really interesting. I think Scotland is out now because they're not going to beat England. They're not mm-hmm. going to beat Croatia. I mean, yeah, they, this was the one they had to win. This was yeah, the one they had was, to win. If they had a chance of going through, they needed three points from this game, not a draw. Yeah, they basically needed the reverse result. They needed to win and get a, a decent goal difference to hope that would hold up after the next two matches and they could get in as one of the third place teams. Yeah, it was huge. Uh, and, and especially, I mean, you know, full transparency, I went 0-5 today in the Euros. 0-5. Mm-hmm. Uh, unbelievably poor day after starting real hot yesterday. Uh, you know, I was hitting everything I played yesterday, plus 370, both teams to score and Austria to win in that game, you know, Crazy stuff like that, but yeah. today I had Scotland. I had Scotland minus one. Obviously, that didn't go well. I had Poland. I had Poland and under two and a half. That didn't go well. You know, it's just we we're seeing some shocking results. Yeah, absolutely. And I look at this Czech team, and this is this this is one of those teams that I think the fact that they're kind of unknown kind of works into <clears throat> their into their benefit here because. Yeah, they have some guys we've heard of, but for the most part, these are players that don't play in, you know, top-tier clubs. These aren't the ones we're watching every weekend. But, you know, they put together a pretty cohesive unit. Uh, the goalkeeper is Vaslik. They got four across the back, Kofal, uh, Salutska, Thomas Kallis, and Jan Burrell. Thomas Subek and Alex Kral, a double pivot in midfield with three attacking mids in front of them. Vladimir Dorita, Lucas Mospust, uh Jakob Jankobo, and then their star there, Patrick Schick, who uh, is is brilliant, and he's now you know joint top scorer with Romelu Lukaku in the competition right now. And he's playing as a lone striker, and he he you know he strikes twice. And like you said, that second goal, that's one of those for the highlight reels. That's the first scene of like the movie they make about this this tournament <laughs> when the documentary comes up. I mean, and... the the one thing I will say, Marshall, don't get me wrong, he's out there playing like Manuel Neuer, you know, why he's 40 yards yeah, away. Goal right. However, watching, you know, we've all seen that clip now 30 times. I mean, that was a top bin strike anyway. I'm oh, without sure. a doubt. Yeah. In his goal. So, yeah, it was it was a brilliant strike. But like you said, I think, you know, out of out of the entire team, I mean, I've, I've heard of Schick uh, just because he's prolific and I believe the um, – in the Croatian league, doesn't he play for Zagreb? I can verify that right not, now for you. But um, Suchek, he's Iron Leverkusen. Leverkusen, ah, that's what it is. Okay, yes. Yeah. Um, but Suchek, he's playing at West Ham, and I just think they have, like you said, a bunch of players that we don't know. However, and again, I, I go back to this: watching that game, I think if they were to go through, if they play a halfway competent finishing squad. This could be a boat race because Scotland had four or five yeah. clear-cut chances in that first half, and then their heads dropped. And in the last 10 minutes, they made a run again and had three, four, five shots that really should have gone in, if not for heroic defending, uh, and not to mention a few top-shelf top saves from Vaslik. So, yeah, yeah. I, think, I think the Czech team is surprised everyone here, but, I mean, well-deserved. They, yeah, they and they, they may have done enough already to get through. We will wait and see if they don't, if they can play tight against the, you know their other two opponents and not concede too many goals. They mm-hmm. could find themselves even on three points, possibly getting by with a with a goal difference because goal I mean, difference becomes so important once you allow those four third place teams in. Well, and and think about this: like this is this is the kind of thing that I love about the Euros, but also just how crazy Match Day One is so far. In Group E, there is a possibility that Spain do not go through, mm-hmm. that Poland do not go through, and Sweden and Slovakia are the ones that go through. I mean, it's just it's insane that that's a possibility already. But with Slovakia mm-hmm. with three points and two goals, and then you look at that same the Czech Republic lead Group D. Scotland, right. I don't see a way back for them. Croatia must beat the Czech Republic, must get right. a point against Scotland. I mean, these are exciting, exciting match days coming up, but a lot of teams have made it extremely difficult on themselves. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt at all. I got a couple of the stats up here before we wrap up this one. Scotland had the more of the possession, 57.8%. 
They took more shots. They created more chances. Each team had two chances, two big chances. Uh, Scotland created, yeah, uh, sorry, connected more passes, had a higher pass success rate. They did. They check all the boxes except the one that matters, which is the scoreline. And like you said, they didn't play a bad match at all. No. And uh, yeah, very. I think they're going to feel a little hard done and unfortunate to not mm. take anything away from this match. But we'll move on then to the second match of the day. Uh, Poland and Slovakia, and this one was in St. Petersburg. There's an attendance of 12,862, and mostly Polish, it sounded like. And I thought Poland was, I mean, I see them as such a consistent, maybe not a contender, but like just outside the the contender, you know, in that next tier. Um, Just a team that that can go at anybody and... You know, when you got Robert Lewandowski in year 11, you've always got a chance. But today was not their day. Um, I'll pull up their lineup. They end up going with Skezny over over Fabianski in goal. And uh, they go 4-3-3. Berezinski, Gleek, uh, Jan Berdenak, and Rubu, Rubis are the four across the back. Uh, Linetti, Krishu, sorry, hold on. Krichuak and Klitsch in the midfield, and then Jaziwak, uh, Lewandowski, and Zelensky up front. Um, again, Slovakia is a team that's hard to it's hard to name anyone outside of Marek Hamšík. Yeah, um, <laughs> other than him, it's like you really got to Google these guys. But they play; they had a good match today. I mean, both goals were. Very well deserved. I mean, that mm-hmm. first goal, even though it goes down to an own goal, you know, I, it was brilliant play from. Yeah, I believe it was the right back. Uh, I think you're it right. It was Pekarik. Uh Yes, just, or maybe excuse me, it was Pekarik. the left back, uh, Hubachan. Let's and see he here. Drove down, nutmegs uh, Berezinski, and then you know gets inside Chesney, and it rebounds off the post, hits Chesney in the back, and goes in, but. I don't yeah, know. It's a goalie's I, worst nightmare. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Uh, both both these teams come in in pretty poor form uh, to this tournament. I agree with you that the polls they are on the edge all the time, but it seems like you know they just haven't had it of late. But they just played mm-hmm. so erratically. The second that they went down, it was like everything changed for them. They were desperate to getting you know they were making ridiculous tackles. It seemed like their entire game plan went from because. In the first, before the first goal, in the first 15 minutes, it was Polish attack after Polish attack. Slovakia couldn't get it out of their own box, let alone their own half. Right. And it was, it just seemed like it was inevitable that we would see uh, a Poland goal and then another and another. And as soon as that first one went in for Slovakia, it was as though they just shut down. They made rash tackles. Their entire offensive game plan was Robert Lewandowski is somewhere near their goal. We'll just bin it in there. Yeah. No pass. It'll just be crosses into Lewandowski covered by three, four defenders. And, and ho- you know, hope for the best, yeah. Yeah, and he'd have nothing to do. That's why you see Lanetti get a goal. It's just unbelievable to me that you see in a game like this a team completely lose their composure after a goal 18 minutes into the game. And then the second – I thought the second yellow card uh, for Krychowiak uh, or Krychowiak. Yeah, Krychowiak, uh, yeah soft um yeah and it was some horrible timing i mean they were just you know you come out of at the second half and poland levels right in the first 30 seconds of the second half and at that point i'm thinking well okay they got control of this now we'll see them turn it around and they'll see this one out but then that changed everything the whole momentum you could see it just shift the heads dropped and it took slovakia seven minutes to go back ahead after that yeah I mean, it's and it's hard to watch as well because you see, you know, I mean, the Poles are a much more recognizable team. You have arguably, you know, the best striker, at least a top three striker in the world. Sure. And he was invisible the entire game. Yeah. I mean, fair play to the Slovakians to, you know, make sure that he was non he was a non-factor in the game. But at the same time, it's amazing to me that you can have a team where, hey, we know that this is our guy. We're not going to scheme up anything for him. We're just going to punt balls towards him and hope that he can make some magic out of it. 
Yeah, there was no no adjustment when it, when that wasn't working. They didn't say, yeah. okay, let's go to plan B. Let's let's have somebody make some type of run somewhere else to free up some space for him, use some kind of decoy or pull him maybe a, a little bit deeper so he mm -hmm. can receive the ball and turn. You can try so many things, but yeah. it it doesn't seem like there was any coaching done at all. Uh, he no. made other than making subs, it, there was no actual like changes made with the guys already on the pitch. No, no strategy adjustment. Absolutely nothing. Just yeah. you know, keep keep like you said, firing them into the area and hoping he's going to beat three defenders on one of them and find the back of the net. Yeah, I mean, and and the problem is as well is you know it's easy to be a couch coach. You know, like sitting on the mm -hmm. couch and saying do this, do that, but. It worked so well in the first 15 minutes, what they were doing, mm -hmm. driving up the middle, uh, kind of the Spanish style of ticky-tack passing in and around the top of the Slovakian box and then getting a ball into, you know, Lewandowski or Zlinski. Um, I thought Linetti had a pretty damn good game. But mm -hmm. it, again, I can't reiterate enough. I haven't seen a team like that just fall apart. To You know, I've seen it happen when it's in, in the Prem, like Burnley facing... Liverpool where mm -hmm. Burnley give up a goal early and they fall to pieces but that's because Liverpool are a much better team right but way around Liverpool playing you know Burnley if Burnley were to score early and Liverpool it just hit won't the bed, phase them. I mean usually yeah. it doesn't this year it, did. it shouldn't it, right <laughs> and and the polls just fell apart they decided you know we're not going to play anything it seemed like halftime did them well they took a breather and they were like right we got this immediately equalized and then a very soft second yellow and they fall mm -hmm. apart. Again. Yeah. And again, I think there was also a lack of adjustment once they lost that player. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, at this level, you have to be comfortable playing with 10. You have to have your plan. You go to when you're down a man, you know, the, who's going to be the, the guy on the other side. You're not going to worry about essentially. And you know, where are we, where are we going to make our runs when we're down a man? And who's going to make the runs? Who's going to come in and support? You didn't see any kind of any kind of that type of adjustment being made. It was almost like they just mm -hmm. again they just stuck to the plan almost like like yep. they had plan A and that was they were going to live and die on that hill. And and I I get that when plan A is give the ball to the best striker in the world, arguably. Mm -hmm. But when sure, you to an extent, yeah. And you just make zero adjustments. I mean, you know, this is this is watching Argentina. This is watching Portugal in the World mm -hmm. Cup. Uh, you know, pre two thousand six ish, or excuse mm -hmm. me, two thousand eight, whenever it was. Um, but like when really Messi and Ronaldo were their entire team yeah. to the point where it was just bin it to them, and mm -hmm. maybe make something happen. It's them plus That's ten at that point. You know, yeah, it's a it's a failed model that has never worked for anyone. You know, it has a very very low ceiling for that type of that type. It can get you to a certain level once you're in the tournament. Qualify you against you know teams like no offense, but North Macedonia and the sure. and all of that. But you sure. know, I always go back to Miroslav Klose for Germany is the you know high the most prolific goal scorer in World Cup history, right? Hopefully. Right. Why? Not because he specifically is so amazing, but because he plays for a team that knows how to get the ball into open spaces and play mm -hmm. and be a threat everywhere on the pitch. And he just cleans up the junk. Like, I mean, I would argue 30% of all of his goals for Germany are off deflections, off saves that come back out off the post and he heads it in. You know, it's like in order to have real success, you need to be able to play with a little bit, just a little bit of a sense of, we can have danger from other players. Absolutely. And and with Germany, it's such a good example of a, a system that works. If Klose is not there, the next guy goes in and does the same job. He may not do it to the same efficiency, but you're still getting goals from whoever fills in in that role. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's 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 a good system. So a lot of times, you know, they criticize sometimes the, the German players when they go abroad. Mm. And we've seen it with Timo Werner this year. But I think the systems are so good in Germany that these players have to like unadjust and have to almost learn how to play more individual again because yeah. they're they're expecting the service at certain points where it's not coming because their new teams don't play that way. And I think that's why you see sometimes that adjustment of German players when they go to to other countries outside of Germany to play mm -hmm. and you know they 
of course, supporters are are not even all that patient. And Werner does so many good things on the pitch, but everybody points to the score sheet. And yeah, he, I, he misses his chances, but I'm I feel sure. like you know, you know, you know as well as I do. Chelsea fans are a, a whole thing, <laughs> but I hope to God Werner has an unreal tournament and mm-hmm. scores because he was so good for Leipzig. And he really it, was. I, he was so good, and you can see he's so good still because he's always in open positions. And yes, he misses them all, but has an unbelievable amount of chances. Like I said with Sterling, mm-hmm. like his mm-hmm. his off the ball and to get into spaces and to get his teammates into spaces is fantastic. He just can't finish because I think at the minute, at least, you know, the shirt's too big for him. But I, I just hope he has a tournament that gives him his mojo and, you know, I don't know. I feel I feel bad for the guy, which which is you know tough to say as a United fan. But I just right. I, I he's so much better than he is performing, and English fans are by far the harshest. And he is just going to get killed if he continues in this form in England. Yeah, absolutely. And and like you like you said, I loved him at, at Leipzig. I just loved a lot about that Leipzig team. It's to me, it's sad he's gone. Uh, Nagelsmann is gone and that team is just being pulled apart. They'll rebuild because they have a complete farm system built into their, into their model. But I really liked what they had there. There, Um, There's nothing the Germans want more than Leipzig to be terrible all the time. Of course, of course. (laughs) And it, it is quite the, quite the, uh, irony that that's the country Red Bull really cemented their, their model (laughs) is the one place where they're not welcome. Uh, I guess we we can wrap this one up. I was looking at a few stats there, and um, I mean, Poland wins most of the statistical battle, you know, and that it's only worth what it is. But they they did have seventeen shots uh, total to eleven, and uh, a pass success rate of eighty six percent. They connected about five hundred passes, which we'll, yeah. when we get to oh. our next game, that's about the first half total for one of those teams. How but. About the- the XG though, Poland with 1.46 XG, Slovakia mm-hmm. with 0.6. Yeah. I mean, that is just, that's into, and, and I'll bet you all of those 1.46 XG, I'll bet all of that is in the first 15 minutes of the game and the goal. Yeah. That's it. What do you think of the XG uh, analytic? I think how much, a, how well do you understand it? I, I get what it says. I'm not always so certain how it's, it's figured out. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Sorry, I just saw an update that Trey yeah. Young has COVID and is playing in the game right now. Um, oh, awesome! <laughs> Jesus Christ! Uh, I, the way I understand it is, it's not just about the expectation of a goal from a shot you make. It's also in the buildup of play and you know high danger chances. A lot with hockey, mm-hmm. um, but the thing I like most about XG is using it to see how consistent a team is at creating high danger chances Mm -hmm. because there's plenty of teams that don't score that often. And the reason why is because they don't get many chances, Mm -hmm. but like you can pick out runs where, you know, Oh, this team has two XG or 1.8 XG or three XG and only scored one or two goals or scored none. It's like they, they have something there. So when they find a team that has a weaker defense or, you know, their XG is all from their wing back play and the team Mm. is particularly poor against defending that, then it's like, I want to hammer that play. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's honestly why I was on Poland so much is because Slovakia's biggest problem is defending down the middle. And that's where Robert Lewandowski plays. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to hammer Poland. Uh, And that's what worked for the first 15 minutes of the game and then just whatever. But yeah, I mean, the thing I don't like about XG though is that it is just a number not taking into account how you know if a team has 80 percent of the possession their xg is naturally going to be higher even if when you watch that game the eye test says they were never in it they didn't you know, create like, anything right <laughs> a great example is the manchester united and liverpool game match day or the first game they played in liverpool at anfield and it was a nil nil draw but united's xg was you know, I think it was 0.89. Liverpool's was 0.14. But you, the eye test in that game said there was 
no danger of either team scoring, or excuse me, of Manchester United scoring until the last 10 minutes of the game. And yet they had the higher XG. And it's because those last 10 minutes, they had two chances that really should have been goals. Mm-hmm. Whereas the majority of the game, Liverpool dominated possession. They had dangerous crosses into the box, but Maguire and Lindelof just were standing on their head and, you know, being fantastic. Right. clearing. So because there was never any shots on target, the XG is much lower. So you got to take it with a grain of salt. And the eye test is always important, I think. Uh, but, you know, I do, I do like seeing the XG trends because some teams, you know, a great example is the Spanish team. The XG is... Mm-hmm. And they had the ball the whole time. Yeah, literally. I've never seen such a one-sided, uh, not at this and, level at least, such a one-sided. You know, fan, I'd say that's just down to Lindelof intimidating everyone. <laughs> yeah, why not? Why not? I mean, yeah, and it, it's a good point because I, I notice in conversations and just in, in chat groups or WhatsApp groups or whatever, it, it, there's this real argument between two schools of thought. There, There's the, the fan that go, goes solely on the eye test. And watches mm-hmm. the game and thinks you're an idiot if you don't agree with what they say. And then you also have the fan that goes solely on the analytics. Says, no, this guy's good. Look, he does this. You know, And the old school fan watches and doesn't see anything. And it's it's kind of funny. It's interesting to me. I think we're at a crossroads right now. Because analytics are still fairly new in, in, in this sport in football. Mm-hmm. Um, they're still making their way into the game. And there is still a lot of people that are not believers. I'm sure there's a lot of managers still that don't believe in this data and probably don't use it. And um, yeah. I think I'm pretty sure Maurizio Sadi is, is one who doesn't believe in anything modern. And like he fired his fitness coach because he says his players are never going to play holding weights. So why, why am I paying somebody to teach him how to lift weights? And it's, it's, it's just, I think we're at a real interesting time right now in the game. We're at a crossroads and, uh, this tournament it's, is just so wacky that it, it falls in, in this place where it's like almost like we're going to look back at this and be like, yeah, well, this is where people started to go this way. And and yeah. uh, crowds came back and XG became the talk of, you know, of of the mainstream pundits, not just those of us, you know, talking on these independent forums. But you're getting it now on on CBS and on ESPN. They're, they're including it. You know, Jimmy Conrad, when he's doing his show on CBS, he's always got the XG. He's always got the betting lines, you know, the money line. He's got everything. He uses everything as part of his analysis of the match on the field as mm-hmm. evidence for why he thinks things are going to happen. Pardon me. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, obviously I love betting football, but it is, you know, there are people who do it more intensely than me. There's people who focus mm-hmm. only on follow loads and loads of cappers who's one and only you know thing and you know everybody has their different styles but i think the most important thing you can do is you know make sure that you're you're not locking into something i mean like you said there's people who just go analytics or just go eye text but if you if you lock into like this trend or this stat or that you know whatever it mm-hmm. may be i mean you know it's the same thing as saying like i'm betting on this team because they're due for a win yeah, You know, like, oh, they've lost 10 straight, so I'm going to bet on them now because surely they can't lose 11 straight. It's like, do you know how many people lost money, including myself, because they were like, Liverpool aren't going to lose at home again. Right. And they lost, what, six straight games at home after 453 days of not losing a game at home. It's just you, you have to really be willing to pay attention to a myriad of different factors. And also, I mean, I think the hardest league, in soccer to cap in the world is the Premier League because anything can happen at any time. But especially with soccer, I mean, players have different reasons for being good on a day and different reasons for not, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. you really, really have to take a lot into consideration. And especially in an international tournament like this, the pride factor, the this is our one shot factor, the we're lucky to be here factor, all of that plays a huge role. And mm-hmm. we've obviously seen it. I mean, <laughs> the results are showing it. Yeah, it it is it is quite fascinating, actually, the way this tournament is unfolding and we're only in the beginning. But uh, usually the top teams, even when they start slow, seem to rise to the top. But but it, it does get exciting when you start to see other teams try to wedge their way in there. Yep. We'll move into the final game then. And uh, we got Spain versus Sweden in, in Spain and in, in Seville. Uh, well. Almost a thousand completed passes by Spain in this match. <laughs> Literally, uh, 
you know, the right. commentators on television are drooling over the possession. And Taylor Twelman's talking about how he wants to watch this in the tactical cam and watch all the movements they're making. And I'm saying, how about when they get to the attacking third and they, it's like there's a glass wall there that they can't go past. He's, can I swear on your podcast? Go for it. Fuck Taylor Twelman. <laughs> oh my God, dude. I swear to God, that motherfucker needs to just leave football. It's like Kyle Marino. I can't stand him. He, he acts like he's God's gift to punditry. Mm -hmm. Sorry, rant over. Yeah, no worries, no worries. Uh, but yeah, you know, sure, for the, again, we talk about the different types of people that like to watch different things. There's mm -hmm. also the the tactics nerds that just love watching 972 passes be connected, most of them sideways, uh, you know, most of them back. And just, there was one play, the ball was served in to, this was early, the ball was served in to Morata. He couldn't turn, he, he played it back. The next guy played it square. Before you knew it, the ball was back on the goalkeeper's foot. At the other end of the... They had gone 70 yards in the wrong direction with the ball. And they're still... Oh, brilliant control of the ball. But what nobody's noticing is Sweden doesn't have any interest in coming out and not letting them have the ball that much. Part of the reason they get those that much possession is because they're being allowed to have it because they've proven they that they're not dangerous just by possessing. Exactly. I mean, you, I, I could not have said it better myself. I have very little to contribute in that regard where, especially when you, when you're a team like Sweden and going up against a team like Spain, you know, you're not going to have much of the possession. So your entire game plan is let them have the ball and we'll do our thing when we get it. And that's exactly what they did. I mean, it's, and I know you were, you know, you talked, lineups and i don't want to stay with thunder here but it's like you look at the spanish side and you're like lorente laporte torres and jordi alba oh my god like these are the fantastic players on this team and it's the back line yeah and absolutely just, that that does not happen for spain you don't have a single single attacking player that really wows you you know i mean no. I, I have a great thing i tweeted this today uh, you know, as soon as Murata, the game started, I'm like, oh, Var Murata, you know, starting up front. I wonder how many offsides he'll have today. You know, three of them. Yeah. Oh, I wonder how many he'll fluff a sitter. Oh, yeah, did that in the first half. You know, it's just... <laughs> it was I, predictable, yeah. Yeah, it's it's just the Spanish team is a danger to no one if you know how to play them and the way to yeah. play them. Yeah. Let them hold the ball up and don't let them in, you know, the final third. And as it was unfolding, the only thing I, I'm thinking, the only way they were going to steal a win here was to get a penalty, <laughs> was to go down in the area and be bailed out with a penalty. And you said you just named the back four there, Marcos Llorente, uh, Laporte, Pau Torres, and Jordi Alba. And you're right. That's where their class kind of mm -hmm. falls off because now you got Rodri, Coque, and Pedri in midfield. And then up front, you've got Fernan Torres, Alvaro Morata, and Daniel Olmo, which none of those are world beaters. They don't have that one guy in the attack. And like you were saying, Spain's going to have to wait for that next generation, but they need to have a finisher in that generation because this style doesn't work without a guy, at least one, to put the ball in, in the goal and, and give you yeah. you know, that lead. Once you're in the lead, yeah, you can play like that because the other team's going to have a hard time ever getting back in the game because you can keep the ball for long stretches. But you got to get the lead first. That's that's a really good point. Is they're playing like they already have a two goal lead. Yeah, they are. And exactly, I mean, this is this has been the Spanish way for so long. It's like you have amazing midfielders, and then that one finisher up front, like Fernando Torres, you know, mm -hmm. who just has so much danger about the way they play that they could score any time from anywhere. You know, very much how Karim Benzema is for mm -hmm. Real Madrid. He doesn't right. need the time, but when he gets it, my God, can he finish it? And mm -hmm. so because they don't have that, and I think. You know, Murata, he's a good player. He just has had a very, very poor season. And a lot of that, you know, it's down to what's going on at Juventus and all that. But Yeah, of course. It's, it's you know, you mentioned um, Rodri. And it's like, he was the Prem Player of the Year, wasn't he? And what is he? A defensive player. I don't rate him that high anyway. I think it's down yeah. to the, you didn't have to play much defense because the Manchester city midfield and offense is so fantastic, but yeah, it's easy to defend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and the same with, Le and it's just, I, I watched this team and I'm like, you're playing like you have a two goal lead. You said it perfectly. They are playing to 
sit on the ball for the entire game. They got a guy. To- yeah, they got a guy in Marco Llorente who, when he's playing for Atletico Madrid, plays way further up the pitch in a team that has the opposite problem that sits back too much. And he's the one pushing it, you know, mm. pushing the pace and and running at defenders. And Luis Enrique decides to throw him in at right back. I know he's de- somewhat depleted, but it's it's his fault he didn't fill out enough players in his roster. I mean, well, he had- <laughs> he's making a statement. You know, I yeah. think he's, you know, with the, with the no inclusion of a Real Madrid player, even though, yeah. don't get me wrong, they're not great, but your team selection isn't either. And the fact that you don't no. have Sergio Ramos, it's like, England brought Harry Maguire, even though he's injured, because he yeah. will be better. Sergio Ramos, yeah, he was injured, but he will be better. And it's just crazy to snub all these players just because, I don't know. I, because they're from your, uh, yeah. And Spanish. it's not, he, he didn't even fill those voids. He didn't even pencil anybody in for those spots. He left them vacant. Yeah. He took 23 players instead of 26. And and again, I go back to Adama Traore. It's like, you know what? I, I love the guy. I love watching yeah. him all but it's like throw him on the pitch, get him yeah. do what he does, just muscling people down the line and crossing the ball in. Like you know, he plays with the non ticky tack style of right. what Spain is, and it's like just something different. Throw him on at 60, 70 minutes to just yeah. get the ball down the line and cross the ball in, see if somebody can do something. But nope, they didn't, and we see the most boring game of the opening fixture. That was hard to stay awake for. And I was working at the same time. I was more interested in my like work than I was. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it was good because it was that bad. Yeah, not great. And and the other thing as well is I don't think it'll improve. I, Spain, I had penciled in as an early exit once they mm-hmm. get through the Because, I mean, hey, now it's actually up in the air, which I love. Which yeah. I, but I penciled Spain in for, they just got an easy group. Uh, and, apparently not, which is great, but you know, we'll see. You make a great point about Traore here because he doesn't fit that style. So if he comes onto the, mm. the pitch, you have a different look now and the Sweden has to make some kind of defensive adjustment to deal with it. And it, it'll open something up somewhere, but he didn't yeah. make, and that's one of my things of how I judge these managers is the good ones. You know, when they make a change, it's not a like for like. You have to change something about the way your team looks so that the other team has to then counter your move or you're going to you're going to benefit from the move. And the real great managers are two steps ahead and they're already forcing the counter they want out of their opponent. Mm. But you just didn't see those kinds of changes today and I'm going to look I'm going to run through these substitutes. Let me see who who did they sub on as I'm thinking. Because <laughs> It's all like for like. It it's all like for like. So Sweden's like, all right, cool. It doesn't matter if you're fresh or tired in that style of play because you're not explosive in any way. It's not like a fresh guy coming in and and like a Triori that would bring a new level of pace and be able to run by people. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, we might need to put more help on the left side here or on the right side. And we got we to gotta deal with his, with his strength. No, we didn't do any of that. We just did, like you said, we brought on, uh, let's see here. Brought on Gerard Moreno for Daniel Olmo. Brought on Mikel Oyarzabal for Fernand Torres. And in Fabian. the 87th minute, you gave Fabian three minutes to replace Koke and maybe get a winner. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, but it, also you make you make a really good point as well about the fact that it can't just be like for like, like, substitutions need to impact a game. And that's why a lot Mm -hmm. of times you'll see a substitution and then it may be against you, but a goal five, 10 minutes later, like very soon after substitutions, because Mm -hmm. the whole point of it is to change your tactical way of approaching. That's why it may work against you and you get a goal scored on you, or you may score a goal, but Mm -hmm. it's just very much one of those situations where Spain is not only doing like for like, but Sweden, it allows them their entire way of play is, all right, we're going to sit back and let you come at us. But they never even went at them. They just got no. to sit back, relax. Okay, we'll jog over here. We'll jog over there. But there was no sense of urgency from either side. And Sweden are happy to get a point here. Yeah, absolutely. They really were making small five, 10-yard jogs, like you said, for one side or the other to cut down a passing lane yep. and force them to go back. That was really all they had to do in this match. So, yeah, I mean, again, 830 accurate passes. That's 
<laughs> they had more I'd in the first half than half of the teams in this tournament have total. Yeah, I would love. To, I would genuinely love to know though how many of those passes are between the back four and the goalkeeper, like just those five players. Yeah, yeah, probably a lot of them. Um, actually, this does break it down by defensive zone and okay so in their own half they had 263 passes and then 567 in the opposing half but sweden's sitting deep they weren't yeah. coming out at all that could and, still you know jordi alba yeah. wing you know and right in the midfield right they're basically being confronted at the edge of the attacking third they were letting them come yeah. all three quarters of the way down so exactly. that's that that skews those numbers but 1060 63 touches on the ball it says for Spain. Bananas. <laughs> in a 90 minute in a 90 minute match. It's it's it is bananas. Um I don't know, you have any other final thoughts on Spain or or on Sweden? I, I hope they get knocked out of this group. <laughs> they're just they're they're going to be a breeze for whoever they face. So I hope they get knocked out of this group to give Poland, Sweden, Slovakia one of those teams who actually, you know, will really try and really have a lot of pride in trying to do something here. You know, Spain, Spain don't need a spot. Yeah, they they are very disappointing to watch. I mean, you expect more even out of this group of players. I think just a different approach would make them more likable. But yep. uh, but again, not everyone thinks like we do. And some people <laughs> think they're just really <laughs> unlucky. <laughs> uh, you want to do a quick re- preview of tomorrow's matches? I would love to because right. I love both these games in a way I can't even say. <laughs> So we'll start with with my boys at at noon. At least here on the East Coast, it's at noon. It's it's Hungary and Portugal, and um, well, we just lost Drunk Cancelo to COVID for the tournament. That's gonna suck. Um, they should be okay with Semedo. I'm not terribly worried, mm-hmm. but uh, some people are really overreacting about this. Like like we just like every the whole tournament just went down the toilet. But I think. I think we should be okay. The pro- this is going to be fun because they're going to have a full house in Budapest. 67,000 fan- tickets sold for this one. It's a full house. There's no restrictions. Hungary is going to be, pardon the pun, hungry because they're going to be looking. They're going to be looking for, they, they, they're in the worst spot except for the fact that they're playing at home. You imagine being drawn into a group with three of, at least in mm-hmm. rankings wise, the top five teams in the world. Yeah. When we see some of the other groups we have in this competition. It's pretty wild. But I will say this, and, and from a betting perspective, you know, I, I, Portugal is the team I want to win this tournament. I love Portugal. Mm-hmm. Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, as a United fan, I mean, one of my favorite yeah. players of all time, Bruno Fernandes, even mm-hmm. though he's a fucking scouser, I love Diogo Jota. Like, mm-hmm. there's some fantastic Portugal players, and I think it's the best side in my lifetime uh, for Portugal. Yeah, but, I agree with that. The thing that makes me excited from a betting perspective is what we saw over the last couple of days. No longer, like, I'm not joking about this at all. Finland and the Czech Republic and Slovakia were expected to get zero points. Mm-hmm. North Macedonia is on zero, but they those four teams were expected to get less than one point mm-hmm. in the betting. Right, between the four of them. And Slovakia, the Czech Republic, both got not only points, but a win. Finland got a win. So that means that there are no guaranteed third place spots. So that means that France and Germany must, must be hungry. And so from a betting perspective, like, you know, if you just said a random day of international friendly, Portugal's full first team and Hungary's full first team, I'd say Portugal win it 4-1. 3-1, 3-0. But, you know, a lot of stuff can happen. It's in Budapest and it's Hungary, mm-hmm. you know, their first major in a while and Portugal may have the jitters and with Jao Cancelo out. But now that they know this is a game we can't fuck around, we can't come in slow, we can't come in and play games here. We need to win this one because we can't rely on third place anymore. Right. That's going to put the fire under Portugal that makes me overconfident. Like, you know, I'm not going to... I would never go like, oh, 25 units or anything like that. Right, right, but right. Portugal minus one is a play I am very excited about at minus 130. 
I, I was thinking about Portugal to win to nil. It's plus money, but I can't pull the trigger on that just because of what we've seen and Hungary being at home and oh yeah, you know, they could nick a goal here. But I genuinely see this game finishing three one four one. Like Portugal really taking it to them to be like, great, we have this base of three points. Now what we all we need to do is draw with either Germany or France, and mm-hmm. we're through. But three points will not or excuse me, a few points will not get you through anymore because of the fact that three teams that weren't supposed to have any points now have a win. Now have three, yeah. And they yeah. may get, they may not be done. They, exactly. they may I still mean, get them. And, right. and you look at it from another perspective of the teams that lost that weren't supposed to lose, like Denmark is definitely the second best team in Group B. Denmark, mm-hmm. I would assume, will beat Russia. Denmark, I would assume, yeah. Able, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they got a draw with Belgium. So sure. they assume that, oh, now it's just going to play out. Like Scotland could still beat Croatia. Who knows? Croatia could beat the Czech Republic. And then all of Group D leaves that group on four points. You know, it's just. Yeah, the, you. it's true. Yeah. match. You could have four teams on four points and, you know, somebody's going to go home with yeah, four points have, and someone else is going to advance with three. It's like. <laughs> yeah, group was assuming. We'll all just hang like three nil, four nil on Hungary, and then it doesn't yeah. matter the because we'll all go through with at least three points and you know a goal difference that's great. But now, not only do they have to win, they have to win handily because of that goal difference. So yeah. I love Portugal tomorrow. It's my favorite game because I want Portugal to win the tournament. But also, mm-hmm. just in, from a betting perspective, it's a team that is much better and has a real desire. It's it, it was like the uh, German Cup between Dortmund and uh, and Leipzig. It's just like, this is a game where Dortmund, this is the only silverware they have options to. This is the only glory they can have. They're a better team. They have the fire with them. And look what happened. I think that's how we're going to see tomorrow's game play out. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm pretty confident. But like you said, this is a must win. This is like a knockout game, really, because when you see what both of these teams have coming down the line. And, and for Hungary, I mean, it, this is probably still their best chance to win, I think, because they're playing at home. Germany, they got to go to Germany. And then the other game is France. So even at home, it's 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 France. And I, I hold I rate France higher than everybody else. Um, they're oh. the team I'm most worried about. And but Germany oh, at home. I mean, you know, that's but Germany too many people are counting out Germany already. I mean, never count them out first of all they're gonna play at home. That's the first thing. So it doesn't matter if they're not the same, you know, it's not the 2014 Germany that won the World Cup, but they got a lot of players that can do really, really good things out there. And we've already said they got a system when they play. It's Yogi Lowe's last tournament as manager, and really the the pressure has been put on the players. They're they're gonna you know play for themselves, but when you start to look at their roster, there's so much quality there. I don't care what the results have been leading up to this. Yeah, and and in my opinion, you know, some of the best midfielders in the world, some of the best you know, strikers in the world. I mean, the defense is the only shaky thing about them. Mm-hmm. And that's why we'll get to that game later. But, you know, both teams scoring in that one I like. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, this this group was supposed to be we all beat Hungary and we all go through. And now it's it's not that. So, like you said, it's, it's not that much- simple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about that game. Then let's talk about France and Germany. That's the big one. Um, that's the one in the late the late uh, time slot. Only two games tomorrow. Um this is really a battle of, of rivals too. This is, yeah. you know, teams that have their museums filled with trophies. You got, they've won world cups. They've won European cups. Um, everybody's picking France and rightfully so. But like I said, I, uh, I'm not ready to uh, count out the Germans yet. And I, I learned a long time ago. You just don't count out Germany at all. Um, where you see any matchups here you like, like any player versus player matchups that you think could really be the uh, difference? So, interestingly enough, I, it's so funny because this is, I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't too long ago where quite literally both uh, PSG and Bayern Munich were pretty mm-hmm. much just national teams for their respective right. countries. Right. But I see it a lot like last year, not this year's, but last year's, um, you know, matchup between PSG and Bayern Munich in the sense that PSG's, Jesus, PSG's danger is the fact that they have 
world-class strikers, but not just world-class strikers, world-class strikers with pace. I mean, they are an absolutely stunning team to watch on the counter. They're a stunning team to watch break up the middle as well. So I don't see how Germany's defense hangs with this because of the fact that they've just really struggled to, I mean, you know, they hung five on Latvia in the first half of that, you know, um, friendly the other day and somehow Latvia scored on them and they mm -hmm. were playing the whole first team. I mean, this is, this is a German team that just Matt Hummels is, you know, he's kind of older and over the hill. Same with mm -hmm. Rudiger, uh, Ginter, you know, he's, he's all right. But I mean, in my opinion, I think Joshua Kimmich is top five midfielder in the world. Mm -hmm. Obviously Tony Cruz, he's older, but still fantastic. Gunduan, I mean, you, you just can't you, ever count him out. And Thomas right. Muller. I think Kai Havertz is going to make a splash here at this tournament. I really do. Uh, I like, I mean, obviously, Gnabry and Werner. It's just they have a lot of players that I think will be extremely effective on their squad, but their danger is their defense. And mm -hmm. so I love Killian Mbappe. I mean, Jesus, you talk about an exciting player to watch. Killian Mbappe is one of the best players we've seen in a while, and mm -hmm. his ability to go up that left wing will be a huge problem, huge problem for uh, this German side. And I think that's the matchup I'll really be looking at is that left side, you know, Mbappe going up there, maybe he'll serve some up for Griezmann, who's also one of the fastest people on the pitch tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Germany don't have too much pace unless they sub on Leroy Sané. But you right. have Mbappe, Griezmann, and Benzema as your front line. And then, oh, who's behind them? Pogba. I mean... I don't know how the French uh, can be broken down <laughs> very well. I mean, their back line is unreal. Their strikers are unreal. I just, I, I assume every game they play, Germany will score a goal. But I like France to win this one and both teams to score. Yeah, I agree with you there. And that, yeah, N'Golo Conte and Paul Pogba in that midfield. I mean, Pogba, he, a much better player with France than he is at Manchester United, in my opinion. Um because he cares. What a surprise. Yeah, exactly. And he's got <laughs> teammates around him to hold him accountable, I think, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, th this is this will be a fun match to watch. This is one definitely for the DVR to to keep <laughs> because I think it could be very, very exciting. And the other um, thing as well is the added, you know, there's a massive rivalry between these two clubs, so they always get up for it. Yeah. In Germany, so that's, you know, a boost for Germany and added pressure for France, who's probably the better, well, 100% the better side. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, I think it's going to be a classic in every sense of the word because they have, you know, I mean, they have to see this as a game where we need these points. We cannot lose. You know, like maybe we can draw, but we cannot lose. And right. you have crowd supporting Germany and the French team's the better talent and just, ah, oh, man, I, I think this is going to be, you know, one for the ages, a lot like that Netherlands Ukraine game. I think that was great, be... wasn't that great? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, that that's pretty much a wrap for tonight. Then um, you're always welcome back here, man. Um, if you're it. available Thanks. tomorrow, we can talk about these matches tomorrow. I'm in. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Um, I may have another one, another person joining us as well. So it may be a three person show tomorrow, which will be fun. If not, it'll be the two of us. We'll we'll break down these two matches. Um, where can people find you and uh absolutely what do you uh, want to plug <laughs> find me on twitter at fade my play i post all my picks on there post all the heartbreak and losses and bitching about players that aren't performing well because i want them to <laughs> uh, but yeah twitter is the spot for me and listen to this podcast because all i do is talk about footy so it's good to hear someone else do it all right. Sounds good. Thank you again for joining me. Everybody listening and watching on parkingthebusmedia.com or on the YouTube channel on Periscope, wherever you're watching. Thank you for tuning in tonight. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow night, same time, 8 o'clock Eastern time here in the East Coast of the United States. To my international audience staying up late overseas, thank you. You guys don't know how much uh, that means to me. Um, especially those of you who English is not your first language. I'm always blown away by the response I get sometimes from people in countries where English is not the language that you're listening to an American, in this case, two of us talk about your sport. And um, I mean, it's an honor to bring this, this show to you guys every night. Um, so for Fade My Play, this is the Mr. Mike Agustinu. You can see my Twitter handle right there on the screen. If you're listening on the podcast and you don't have asked,
access the screen. It's at PTV underscore media. You know where to find it by now. This is the fourth night we've been doing this. Um, and it's episode 45 of, of Parking the Bus. So I'm going to sign off, and I'll see you tomorrow, and enjoy the matches. Good night, everybody. In a pool of light Electricity in the room tonight Born from fire Sparks flying from the sun Hey, I hardly know you Can I confess? I feel your heart beating in my chest If you come with me Tonight is gonna be the one Cause you faith and no fear for the fight You pull hope from defeat in the night There's an image of you in my mind Could be mad but you might just be right Just be right